I'm the distant uncle who frequently starts conversations with I'm not racist, but Robbie Krieger-Smith. And I'm just here for the education, Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. Today we're going to be talking about Bill 21, which is Quebec's religious symbols law that was passed earlier this year. Deirdre, why don't you give us an overview of what the bill encompasses and where it's standing right now? Okay, so Bill 21, uh, which is their its legal title, is an act respecting the laicity of the state. It is their religious neutrality law went in, it was enacted on June 16th of 2019. It relies on four principles, uh, separation of state and religions, uh, religious neutrality of the state, equality of all citizens, and freedom of conscience and freedom of religion. So this is actually listed in its law, but what Bill 21 does is it prohibits civil servants in positions of authority, so teachers, police officers, and judges, uh, as well as uh, public servants in general, from wearing religious symbols at work. Now, the civil liberties, Canadian civil, the Canadian civil, oh, the Canadian Civil, civil Liberties Liber Association teamed up with the National Council of Canadian Muslims, and they filed a challenge hours after the bill was enacted in June. Uh, the request to suspend the act was denied. Uh, in July. And the NCCM and CCLA have filed an appeal with Quebec Court of Appeal uh, that was very close, either right right after June 20 or July 23rd, sorry, or just the beginning of August. So right now, uh, there are challenges going on. There are demonstrations going on in Quebec. Uh, October 6th is a day that they have set aside for people to uh, show their support with individuals who wear religious symbols. And so that's where it's sitting right now. Awesome. And we have a couple of guests who are joining us today to discuss. And so let's introduce them. Our two guests today, we have Ishat Riza and Humera Jabir. Yes. Yes? Okay. Humera <laughs> Jabber. Yeah. Humera Jabber. Okay. And so let's start with a little bit of an introduction with... Um... Sure. Um, so my name is Humera and I am a lawyer. I am a graduate of McGill Law and was a activist and writer uh, around the Quebec Charter of Values discussion that took place in 2013. Uh, so... Uh, in, in speaking about this issue, it's coming out of uh, a chance to have been on the ground during the uh, so social mobilization involving the Quebec Charter of Values. Awesome. And uh, Ishat, did you want to take a second and introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Uh, so my name is Ishat Reza, and I'm also a lawyer. I'm also a public governance advisor. I also went to McGill uh, for law school, so I lived in Montreal for three years. And um, I've also lived in France, where they have a similar kind of law that we're going to be discussing. And so I think having that 
perspective um, could be interesting for the conversation. Absolutely. I guess we're, we're kind of putting this into two segments. The first one we're going to talk about is the actual law. And for a little bit of background, uh, because Quebec is not a signatory to the Canadian Constitution Act of 1982, does this in some way afford them additional protections in passing this law? No, actually. So Quebec is still required to comply with the the charter um, that was introduced in 1982. Um, it is, as a signatory to the original constitution, it is obligated um, to adhere to the, the entire constitution and the charter is a part of that. Um, so there, it's true that they didn't officially sign it or whatever, but they participated in the discussions and um, the Supreme Court did rule that uh, they, they weren't required to sign on once the negotiations were concluded. And um, there, you know, there were certain parameters that were required in order to have um, a, an agreement on the, the charter. And the provinces were not required to then officially sign something. So they are they are required to adhere to the Constitution and which includes the charter. Okay. And to add to that. You know, the heart of the discussion is really about uh, freedom of religion and freedom of conscience and where that comes up against the neutrality of the state. So when it comes to civil liberties, uh, the opposition to Quebec signing the the Charter of Rights and Freedoms wasn't based on an opposition to civil liberties. It was based on um, an expression of the sovereignty of the Quebec legislature and other concerns that uh, you know were, arose in terms of the sovereignty of Quebec as a distinct society in Canada. And that was continued in the debates over the Constitution, whether it was the Meech Lake Accord or the Char Charlottetown discussions. So it's a separate issue to civil liberties. And the way that that's also made clear is the fact that Quebec has its own charter uh, related to human rights, uh, the Quebec Charter, and in that the uh, religious freedoms are protected. So there is a there is a common basis when we're talking about freedom of religion and freedom of conscience, and as that as a value that Quebec is also um, a, a right, a fundamental right that Quebec is also required to uphold. Mm. Okay, so. In your guys' view, do you believe that Bill 21 is a discriminatory law either in in text or in practice or in both? In, in my view, I'll, start, I'll go first. It's Ishat. Um, yeah, I think it is, actually. I think um, the whole reason behind this was to... Uh, I mean, they claim that what they're doing is, um, you know, just advocating uh, or upholding the neutrality of the state when it comes to religion. They want to create um, a, a space um, in the public sphere that, you know, doesn't have any kind of religion attached to it. But the reality is when you're focusing on a person's appearance um, in terms of the, the um, symbols, they're saying religious symbols are what's banned. Um, what you're doing is you're essentially policing how people uh, present themselves in public, like how they will dress. And it targets certain communities because there are certain communities that are not part of the majority community in Quebec um, that uh, does express itself um, when it comes to their religion using attire. And, you know, so that includes things like uh, the Sikh turban, um, the Jewish kippah, 
the Muslim hijab. Um, and so, you know, these are things that are very specific to these religions that are minority religions in, in Quebec and in Canada. Um, and, you know, there isn't really an equivalent um, in terms of uh, uh, the majority religion, which uh, in Quebec is, is Christianity. I mean, certainly, you know, there are nuns who will dress a certain way, but there aren't that many nuns who are you know, uh, captured in this law because they're not working for um, the state, right? People who are wearing a habit will be employed with the church. So so it doesn't actually affect them. Um, and so in that case, I, I think it is. I think it is actually targeting um, this group. It's it's masquerading as, um, as, you know, sort of the secular thing, but I think it actually does target minorities. Humera? Yes. So I think... You know, to take a step back, what is the purpose of this law or what is it seeking to do? And so it has two components. One is to prohibit certain classes of workers or publicly funded uh, in, in, public, in, public employees or individuals involved in the public sector that they must have their faces uncovered. And that includes citizens trying to access services from the public. And then the other is uh, uh, to ensure that certain classes of individuals in the public sector uh, do not show, do not have religious symbols. And when we look at the debate that's taken place about what constitutes a religious symbol, there's been a lot of questions raised in the media to members of the Quebec government. Does a religious symbol include wedding bands? Does a religious symbol include, you know, a certain kind of hairstyle? Does a religious symbol include, you know, wearing of a cross? And the, the answer that's always been given is that it is a common sense about what is a religious symbol. And when you say something like it's the, based on the common sense, what you're really saying is that it's based on a majority's perspective of what constitutes a religious symbol. And that leads us directly into discriminatory territory and the majority imposing its views upon a minority. Because it's really, we're talking about hijabs, we're talking about turbans, we're talking about kippahs, we're talking about certain types of religious symbols that the majority has decided are an affront to the neutrality of the state. So looking at, you know, you, we can look at the text of the legislation, which is discriminatory um, in the fact that it is vague and uh, it's it's very unclear about what religious symbol, what is meant by religious symbol. And, but looking at the political discussion as well, it, we can't remove uh, the, the discourse that, that this legislation is emerging from and who is really in the sights of the legislature when they are saying that religious symbols are not going to be, be allowed in the public sphere. It's really those groups. And I think it's also important to keep in mind that the majority of uh, Quebec's immigrant population resides in Montreal. And the majority of the support for this legislation is coming from the rest of Quebec, not including Montreal. So it's also uh, a legislation that's really dealing with um, an idea of the specter of another. Maybe the people supporting this legislation aren't even really coming into contact with people who are wearing these religious symbols. But it's really about the idea of what symbols and what representation of religion is is Quebec and is supposed to be allowed in Quebec. So in its undertone and in the actual text of the legislation, it's discriminatory. Right. 
And and even from that, from your answers there, I would say that my next question, which was, is the government able to apply the law unfairly? That answer is yes. Well, in terms of apply the law unfairly, I mean, I I think, uh, yeah, they they there's a lot of subjectivity to it. Um, and, and I think that's, that goes to the point Hamara was raising about, it, it's quite vague um, as to what is a religious symbol. So, um, so yeah, so I think they will apply it um, in a way that is going to target the populations that we identified. And, um, you know, I think that's how it's understood anyways. And, and that's, that's really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. So and, go ahead, Humara. You know, Having been present in 2013 during the Quebec Charter of Values, which is a precursor to what we're seeing today with Law 21, I I think I'd like to remind your listeners uh, that they may have seen the image of what the Parti Québécois had sort of posted around, um, you know, in the subway, in in the subways of Montreal and in public spaces, which was an image that showed what kinds of religious symbols were considered ostentatious. And on that poster, there was sort of a faceless person wearing a, a hijab, a faceless person wearing a turban, a faceless person. So, you know, there's already in the public sphere an image of who this is about. Mm-hmm. You can't step away from that. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, so some of the justification the government and proponents of this bill have used is that they are moving towards or trying to represent a secular society. If that was truly the outcome, what might that law look like to be able to accommodate a non-discriminatory secular bill? I, I don't think this kind of a law could be drafted in such a way to to lead to the secularism um, point that you're saying, because I think already, you know, the, the way in which just common sense um, dictates that, you know, when you're working for the government, so in this case, it'll be jobs like you're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're a teacher in the public system. Um, and when you're doing your job, you're acting as a professional, and that doesn't include uh, preaching your religion. Um, or trying to convert people. Uh, So I think just sort of by definition, the types of people who are captured by this law are not causing an issue um, that goes against secularism. What they're doing is, you know, they will look, a medical doctor is going to be asking you questions about your medical health and advising you in that way. Um, And so in that sense, I don't think there's a problem here that they're actually trying to solve um, that relates to specifically uh, an anti-secular problem. Um, So in that sense, I think, you know, I don't think you need to legislate that. I don't think you need to legislate professionals doing their job because they're doing it. There's there's no suggestion they're not. Um, I think there's no need for this law at all. And uh, I would definitely pick up on what you're saying there, Ishat, which is where what is the problem that is being legislated? Um, there's been no example brought forward of where an individual has felt that their ability to access the public service in a secular or neutral way has been impacted by someone wearing a religious uh, religious uh, art, article of clothing. Um, and in fact, looking at 
So the, the in, in November of 2018, the government asked schools to provide a survey on who was wearing religious symbols or what sort of accommodations were being provided or what sort of uh, tensions existed. And many, many of these uh, schools did not even respond to the survey. And 93% of those that responded said that there were no tensions. They had nothing to report. There was only one complaint um, that had been brought forward. So it's really legislating a problem that doesn't exist in terms of uh, wanting to um, prevent some sort of, uh, prevent an, an affront to the neutrality of the state. Um, and I think looking at the text of the legislation itself, this isn't about addressing a, a concern in, or a problem in Quebec society so much as it's about making an affirmation of values. So when you're, there is, as Ishat is saying, that what is the problem that is being legislated? So when you talk about how can this be drafted differently, um, I'm not sure that it can be in a way that isn't discriminatory. One of the things, and this obviously affects our perspectives, but personally, not an outwardly religious individual, um, a type of law like this doesn't affect me, doesn't affect um, you know the way that I think about things. One of the things that I had thought of, and Ishad, I'm going to ask for your experience here, so if I were to go somewhere that maybe was primarily a Muslim country, it would be expected that I would cover my hair and, uh, and that would be something that I would do because that's the law of the country. But you had mentioned earlier about your experience in France with their religious symbols law or laicity, state laicity law came into effect in 2004. And you were there since and had some conversations with people who were affected by it. Yeah. So I guess there are two parts to that. So I think, you know, when we're traveling in other countries, you know, often it's important to respect the cultures of other countries and whether that's from religious perspective or other cultural norms. Um, that's a slightly different situation than being in your own country uh, and being told and legislated that, you know, the way that you adhere to your religion is not welcome in the public sphere. Um, so that I think is different. I also think that, you know, Canada is a country that has, um, uh, you know, touted itself out as being multicultural. We, we are a free and democratic society. And so as such, I think our standards are, are of a certain type that we should make sure that across the country we actually adhere to that. Whereas some of these countries that you mentioned, you know, where you might by law have to cover a certain way or whatever, I mean, their their record on human rights or, um, you know, the way they comport themselves is not quite the same as what we have here. And so I think, you know, we don't want to lower the bar because in other countries <laughs> they do things differently, right? Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing. The second point about France was, yeah, I found it, it was really interesting living there. You know, France is a country, it's in the West and, you know, people are like, oh, it's it's the country of liberty and freedom and all of that. Uh, but the reality is it, it too discriminates against certain minority populations. And um, I was I was quite astounded at um, at meeting some uh, Muslim women there uh, who did wear the hijab. Uh, I met them at dinner. 
Um, and, and it turned out that during the daytime when they went to work, they actually removed their headscarves. And the reason they did that was even though they didn't work for the public sector, they were not employable. Like the, even their private sector employers would not have given them opportunities. And in fact, one of them told me that she was told that, that, oh yeah, no, if you wore that, like you, you wouldn't have this job. Like it's very blatant. Um, the, the way it's been implemented, um, in, in France and it, it's just, it's quite pervasive. And I, I suspect that, you know, it's, it's hurt a lot of people's ability to, um, earn a living and participate, uh, in, in society. And, and, you know, I think that that's just wrong. Mm-hmm. And I did actually send you a copy or sorry, a link to the Stanford study that was just published in January of this year. And, they looked at, you know, 15 years later, what has the effect of, of this law been? And it, it was essentially, it was, a, it was a, a ban on head coverings. So it, it was very specific to, to a certain segment of the population. And the results are, uh, the results are less than, less than thrilling. And, that, as I mentioned, it's a Stanford study. They just completed it January of 2019, so you can look that up. Unfortunately, we don't have time to get into that today. Um, so our next question, or actually, who uh, did Yeah, I, I would, because I, you know, when in sort of the way you introduced that question, what I was hearing was a little bit of a when in Rome, do as the Romans do thinking, which is when you're in a society, you should present yourself in the way that is expected of that, of the, you know, the norms of that society. Mm-hmm. And certainly while traveling, that might be something that's nice to do. It's not a legal principle. And when we look at the law of Canada, the law of Canada is that the freedom of religion and freedom of of uh, conscience is protected as the the right to express your sincerely held religious beliefs is protected the state is supposed to be neutral to the extent that it doesn't interfere with the right to express your religious beliefs and neutrality means that the state also doesn't promote a certain religious belief and that those are the terms of the society in which we live in Mm -hmm. and that allows for us to have diversity and to have multiculturalism so when we say things you know you know when we go to other places we should act like they act i think you know that's really getting into slippery territory because it's really plays into what exactly civil liberties are meant to protect which is to ensure that a majority doesn't trample on the rights of minorities. And with, you know, yes, uh, there might be a strong feeling that this is how it should be in Quebec. But I think the study that you're raising is really important because when, when that happens and when you impose and exclude people from your society, the economic repercussions, the social repercussions of that are so great. And that's really borne out in what's what's being seen in this new school year with teachers who are afraid to go back to work, with, uh, you know, university students who don't know that they're going to have careers or access to professions in the future. It's really it's a really real, real issue when we start to impose cultural norms um, and and limit people's legal rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and without going too deep into that study, the outcome has actually been the opposite of the intended effect, though, of having these minority groups 
remove their religious symbols, what's actually happened is largely they've withdrawn from society. They don't engage in the workforce. Uh, you may see them even leave the school system. So it actually has kind of the opposite intended effect, which is to provide more freedom and to have those symbols not be there. So, And in the case of Quebec, I mean, a lot of uh, you know people have been interviewed uh, who are going to be captured under this law saying that, well, I'm going to move to another province, right? Mm -hmm. So then basically what's happened is these people who've grown up in Quebec, um, been educated in Quebec using Quebec taxpayer dollars, are now going to go elsewhere. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, a, a loss for the province, um, but it's also, you know, it's going to tear families apart, right? It's It's going to force people to have to relocate. And for what? Like, what exactly you know, was so offensive um, that required this sort of a thing. It's, it's, you know, mind you, it is being challenged in court. So mm -hmm. this may be a short-lived law, uh, fingers crossed. But, but the reality is, you know, the Quebec government has sent a very strong message to minorities in its, um, in its province that uh, they're not welcome um, unless they, you know, look a certain way or, you know, uh, dress a certain way. And, um, and it's, it's a bit ironic because, uh, Quebec being a minority, uh, you know, being a minority community, uh, or housing a minority community and the rest, you know, compared to the rest of Canada, you would think would be sensitive to, um, to the rights of minorities, uh, but evidently not certain minorities. <laughs> Definitely some cognitive dissonance there for sure. Do you think that Quebec may be trying to model itself on the French society? I, I think, I mean, I don't know if they they decided it because of that necessarily, but I think, you know, the idea is there. Um, and and w when you say the French society, you mean from France? Yes, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I guess they look to it as a model. Uh, it's not the only country in Europe that does this sort of thing. So I think, you know they're looking to that as, as a model. But again, we're not the same thing as these European countries, right? Europe, the European countries were not built on immigration the way that we have been built in Canada. Totally. So it's not really a good thing to, to, you know, look to that. But I think more than anything else, it's, it's to score cheap political points um, because, you know, there is a certain sentiment um, within the society uh, that is all about othering. And, um, and I think it's, it's really to speak to that. Yeah. And just, just to add that uh, it's it's still going it's or sorry the headscarf bans are still going across Europe. Um, Austria is the eighth European country to ban headscarves in a government setting, and the fourth country to prohibit pupils from covering their hair in schools. Yeah, I would say you know having a shared language with France um, certainly it impacts the political discourse in Quebec with respect to how, where, how ideas are shared and where ideas come from, um, which is more so than, you know, happens with the rest of Canada where we are English speaking. So um, in that sense, it's maybe perhaps not a, a desire to model themselves after France, but it's, it's uh, being impacted by those ideas and the discourse that's happening there. Um, and that's something worth taking into account that there is a whole discussion taking place in Europe and that maybe Quebec is one of the places in which those ideas percolate a bit more than they do in other parts of Canada. Do you think that Doug Ford's uh, deployment of the notwithstanding clause empowered the Quebec government to follow suit with this law? 
I don't think so. I mean, in Quebec, they have used um, the, the notwithstanding clause before. They didn't use it in a very specific case, but what they did in the 80s was pretty much every law that came out of their legislator, le legislature, they, um, they, they had sort of a blanket, like notwithstanding clause thing in there. Um, so, so they've done it before. Um, I think they're very comfortable with, uh, standing out. Um, I don't, I don't know that the Ontario case emboldened them or anything, but it, you know, I think it just gives us more, um, more of a parallel to draw there. Um, it is, it's an unfortunate, um, feature in our constitution and it was put in there um, in the, the 80s uh, to get the charter through. I mean, it was seen as a compromise, but it was also seen as something that was supposed to be used very sparingly. Um, and it is, it is something that you can only um, use for five years at a go. Um, so the idea is it's supposed to address something, you know, relatively short term. So I'm not sure how, uh, like what the plan is uh, for Quebec in the longer term, but hopefully the law would be struck down before then. Um, and just on that note, I'll add that, um, you know, even though the province has the right to invoke the notwithstanding clause in order to render certain aspects of the charter um, invalid uh, or, or not applying, I guess, uh, to this law, um, that there are other ways in which um, people can challenge this law because uh, in the constitution there are other obligations that you have to meet and under constitutional law because there is um, you know uh, very specific provincial powers and very specific federal powers uh, there can be arguments made that um, the Quebec law is what they say what they call ultra virus uh, Quebec's authority and so what that means is the uh, um, the government of Quebec has, has enacted a law that they didn't have the right to enact. And so that is an argument that I believe is being put forward um, in the legal challenges. And so, you know, there may be ways to, to get rid of this um, because they're, they're saying that something about freedom of religion is, is more a federal um, jurisdiction issue. I would agree with Ishat once again. I think I don't think that Ontario's actions have very much impact on the use of the notwithstanding clause in this case, because it's really has been used a lot in Quebec in uh, since 1982 with respect to as a way of of the Quebec legislature showing its sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And the other real example of the use of the notwithstanding clause was the French language signs issue. Um, so. Mm -hmm. It, it does. It, it has been used. And I, th I wonder if, you know, the use of this in, in both the French language sign and as well with this legislation around secularism are ways in which, um, you know, the, the Quebec legislature is trying to show that it is independent or identifying what makes Quebec society distinct. And uh, the but as Ishat said, in order to in order to be upheld, it has to meet other sort of constitutional standards. And those that's being challenged by the Canadian Civil Liberties Association and the National Council of Canadian Muslims, most, most recently, uh, who are going to be before the Quebec Court of Appeal. Um, so there's definitely the notwithstanding clause, while it allows them five years, it's also a five-year time limit for ho hopefully sober reflection in terms of uh, thinking about the criticisms that are going to come up using the notwithstanding clause as sort of a red flag to civil liberties organizations and to members of society to pay attention. Um, so I think the next five years of discussion 
Um, and hopefully before five years are up, there will be a lot of discourse that, that should wake up the Quebec legislature to the fact that this is unconstitutional. Yeah, that was that was a great background on the law itself, which I think is very important to start to start from, I guess, from that foundation. And then I wanted to move into the moral side of this type of a law. Like Quebec has, to the best of my knowledge, and I've never lived there, but they have tended to be a more secular society. So was do you think that this might have been uh, a natural progression to to sort of encode some of these things into law? Actually, maybe Homer, if you want to take that first, <laughs> I'd be interested to hear what you have to say on it. Is Quebec a more secular society? I think is a is is a question to <laughs> ask and on. Um, certainly, when we look at Canadian history and the closeness of the of the church and the state and the progression away from that, whether it was the Anglican Church or the Roman Catholic Church, that's been a progression in terms of the foundations of our country. And in Quebec, I think there is a strong sense of the Roman Catholic Church having imposed themselves to a great deal on the lives of Quebecers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, really a shift away from that and then a rejection of that. And I think, you know, um, I'm not well versed in Quebec social history, but uh, something that people often talk about is the Quebec Quiet Revolution and the social changes that came about in terms of people leaving religion behind. Um, and that is apparent in Quebec society in, in certain ways. Like, for for example, um, when you when a person marries, a woman cannot take the name of her her partner. Um, so you don't take your husband's last name, for example. Um, so there are certain things which uh, are really seem to be a rejection of religion overall. But is Quebec more secular than anywhere else? Uh, I think the duty on on the state is the same as as in any other place in terms of not promoting religion and not hindering any any other anyone else's religion. So that underpinning of secularism that the state is separate from religion is is shared, I think, across the country. And maybe they have their origins in different uh, historical reasons or social reasons or and, and experiences, but that uh, that's a common tenant that that is shared is that the that the state is secular, and the state doesn't impose a religion on the on the on its citizens, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't interfere with the religion of of individuals either, and I think um, when we think about secularism in that way and the duty of neutrality a lot of the law in Canada has come out of Quebec whether it was on reasonable accommodation looking at um, the wearing of kirpans in Multani um, in you know a lot of the, the discussion on accommodation of religion a lot of the discussion on neutrality if of uh, of the state is coming out of Quebec and we've even got I think I I'm gonna it was the Mouvement Laïque decision, Mouvement Laïque Quebec versus Saguenay decision of the Supreme Court of Canada in 2015, which really sets out what the duty of neutrality in the state is. So 
the principles that when we're talking about as Canadian principles are also de derived from the Quebec context and all of Canada is bound by those principles. So we, we are not so separate, I think, when we talk about secularism and neutrality in terms of Canada or, or, or Quebec or Quebec or the rest of Canada. And I would just add to that in terms of, you know, was this a natural progression? I would say no, because I think, you know, because we we see this as being a discriminatory um, act that it's it's not natural to progress to discrimination in Canada. Right. That's something that we have um, rejected. That's the whole point of the, the charter is to um, to provide um, certain uh, rights and freedoms, and that includes principles of non-discrimination on a number of grounds, including religion. So I, I would say, no, it's it's not a natural progression. Yes, not not at all. Um, there There is no way in which you, um, you know, secularism doesn't, this isn't its end in terms of imposing that on the individuals. And it, the courts have been very clear in that respect that, Neutrality, the duty of that lies with the state. It's not on individuals in society. And I think if we think of, we really think about the repercussions of what we're asking here, which is that all individuals need to perform neutrality, that it just doesn't jive. It doesn't make sense in our, in our, in terms of civil liberties that are agreed upon, not only in Quebec, but all across Canada. As we know, this fall is a federal election, and we haven't really seen this rise up yet in terms of being a federal election issue. What would you like to see from the federal party leaders in terms of a response to this law? Well, I think for now, I mean, um, you know, certainly Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh have have stated that this is discriminatory and it's not the, the place of the state um, to to police how people um, uh, present themselves in, in public and so on. And um, and so I think, um, you know, they've said the certain leaders have said what they think about it. But in terms of making a big to do about it, I mean, there are two reasons why I think um, they haven't really made it a big issue around the election. One, because it's a it's a provincial law that is being challenged, and it's not really at this stage something that the federal uh, government, for example, can do uh, much about. I mean, it's it, you know from their perspective, it makes sense to sort of see how the the court process plays out, um, and I think that in part relates to the political reality because this is um, a law that is supported by um, quite a few people in Quebec. Um, and, you know, Quebec is a populous province. And so it's important in terms of uh, being able to get votes. So I suspect that might have something to do with why um, this has not been, you know, uh, made into a big issue. But again, it's, you know, it's it's a province that's um, enacted this. And so, you know, there are other ways of it to um, be addressed. And I'm, I'm wondering if post-election, again, depending on how that goes, like who ends up in um, in power at the federal level, uh, whether any particular measures will be taken after the election. Mm -hmm. Humer? Yeah, I think, you know, it's certainly really, it's an interesting time when the, for the first time in Canadian history, there is an individual who wears a turban who is the head of a political party. And then to have at the same time, this sort of political discourse really, uh, taking off um, with respect to this law finally being actually being passed because of course it's been in the works for 
many, many years in different iterations. So, um, you know, where does, I don't think the onus lies on the NDP to always have to, have to advocate for this just because they have a leader who uh, wears a turban, but for there to be, there should be support, there should be a common, um, you know, there should be a lot more discussion happening on the ground and among the leaders at the top in terms of organizing to to you know to support uh the, to support individuals in the elect who you know, elected members who wear religious symbols we have a national defense minister who wears a religious symbol i mean there just seems to be a, a really a big disconnect um and i think it's worth having uh, more statements of support because in, in support of people wanting to become elected members um, and supporting those who have already made it this far. It's a big achievement to have that sort of diversity represented in federal politics. Um, and I think uh, there's, for my, for my view, there's also a very large onus on the Conservative Party to come up with a strong statement on this, because one of the very last acts of the Harper government was to uh, oppose a, a, the, the woman who was wearing a niqab from attending her citizenship ceremony wearing a niqab, if you remember that from back in 2015. And that was right before Justin Trudeau was elected. So that was one of the last things which the Conservative government contributed to Canada when it was last in power was by saying that it was un-Canadian for a woman to have her face covered wearing a niqab at a, a citizenship ceremony. So I think, you know, there, there's a lot of questions here about what the Shear government is going to bring to the table in taking a strong stance on this um, if they are elected going forward. And uh, I think the Liberals and the NDP have been clear on their positions, but of course, as uh, as uh, Ishab says, you know, federal politics is different than provincial politics. And in the context of Quebec, where so much of this is about showing how it's distinct from the rest of Canada and wanting to put distance between itself and um, and show that it, it's power separate from the federal government. I think there's also reason to be cautious about how uh, the federal government statements will have an impact in, in the province whether they will be well-received or whether that will be seen as an interference. Mm -hmm. Very interesting, especially in the context of the niqab ban and uh, Thomas Mulcair's response and what that did to his support in Quebec too. So I, I think Yashat kind of hit the nail on the head. There's political considerations at play as well. Mm -hmm. And I think I want to add just from, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, arguments for uh, young girls to see women in positions of power like becoming the premier and and elected MLAs and things like that I think it would have to go both ways when we're talking about uh, someone who's wearing a, a religious symbol to see those individuals and you know this is where suddenly um, you know my my idea of of it's just it's just a workplace law kind of thing um, that switched very quickly when we started talking about uh, immigration and you know how Canada has been so successful and uh, one thing with the the law that Quebec is passing it it very specifically states that it 
affects people in the public service who are in positions of authority. And so that is your teachers, your judges, your police officers. When people don't see themselves reflected in positions of authority, that is very discouraging. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the dangers in bringing in a a law like this that essentially seeks to other certain people and almost erase them from um, view. And, and, you know, that, that, that is harmful. That's harmful to a certain segment of our society. And again, we, you know, as we've discussed, it's unclear as to why that's necessary, right? Um, Like, what is a benefit to society for doing it? I only see disbenefits here. Um, And, you know, I think that the idea that um, a religious symbol is something that, you know, can just easily be put away and these people should just integrate like with the masses and so on is, is just, you know, it's, it's not a very Canadian way of looking at things. And, you know, under international law, actually, there, there are some, um, you know, we also have protections in terms of religious freedoms and so on. And, um, you know, there was a case uh, that was brought uh, forward in, in the European context that talked about, you know, it's not about um, an objective evaluation of what is, um, you know, uh, a religious symbol and so on. It, it's it's really about if you sincerely believe that that particular um, aspect is is part of your religious belief, then it's not for anyone else to judge that. Um, because certainly, you know, there are going to be people from the Jewish community, the Sikh community, the Muslim community who don't um, wear a specific um, uh, religious attire, uh, you know, but there'll be others who do. And that's OK. Like, you know, we don't all have to be the same. But the point is, it's from the perspective of the person who believes something. And if they think that that's something that's important to them as as an expression of their religion um, or as part of their religion, then then it's not for the state to interfere um, and I think that's just a very basic principle. And so hopefully, um, you know, there'll be a way to to rid Canada of this because or Quebec of this, because it it kind of, um, you know, puts the entire country into disrepute um, to have something like this. To just pick up on what you're saying there, Ishat, it, it's not just international law, it's also Canadian law, um, you know, with res- it's a very fundamental principle in terms of religious freedom in Canada, that that is, uh, it it doesn't, it's about a sincerely held belief that that is Mm -hmm. a significant religious practice for a person. And it doesn't matter if it's collective or if it's shared by a group of people, it can can be individual. Um, So, you know, even using the word religious symbol to talk about people's religious practice, I think is really odd. um, Because for a person who's wearing a, a kippah or a turban, it's not worn by all these individuals to symbolize that they are from a certain faith, but as a very sincere expression of their religious beliefs, um, which is intrinsic to them, which is uh, you know, inseparable for so many people from their identity and is putting them in a very difficult position of having to choose between a very sincerely held religious belief and the opportunity to participate in society or take up employment. Awesome. Well, I think you guys have really informed us about this legislation and a lot of the questions surrounding it. Um, and that's probably a good place for us to to come to a close here. Um, before we do so, is there anything we haven't asked about or any 
messages that you would like to share with respect to this bill and what you'd like to see happen moving forward? Well, I just think, you know, for Canadians who aren't directly affected by this, so people outside of Quebec or those even in Quebec who, you know, aren't um, either the target of this or know people who are going to be targeted by this, um, you know, I think it's important for us to sit and reflect on um, if we allow a government in Canada to um, infringe on the this kind of um, uh, on these rights that people have, like we have, you know, we have the right um, freedom of religion. That kind of opens the door to other rights also being um, infringed. Like, you know, we can we can empathize with those who are going to be affected by it, but we should also remember that, you know, it's it's it it opens up the possibility for other rights being restricted. And um, you know, just from that perspective, we should always be concerned any time a group is being targeted. And um, for no good reason, like there's no reason, no benefit to come from this, um, that that, you know, sort of takes us away from what's um, a free and democratic society. And I think that's uh, that's something we should all be concerned about. I'd like to share something as well, which is um, in this uh, legislation, it allows for the protection of Quebec's cultural history, um, which I which, you know, a lot of the discussion has been about the crucifix in the legislature and historical signs of Catholicism. And uh, what that made me think of was that the first mosque in Canada is actually in Edmonton. Um, it's the Al Rashid Mosque, which was built in 1938, which I think is now in Fort Edmonton Park, which I haven't been to. But I imagine some of your listeners may have, or maybe you have. Um, but I think, you know, when we talk about cultural history and the legacy that is going to be left behind. Um, going forward in another 150 years, will the symbols of religions from across faiths that make up this country be part of our cultural history and part of our cultural legacy? Like, you know, the preservation of that mosque is in, in Edmonton, Alberta. So the, the discussions that we're having now have very real impacts on what the future of our country will look like in terms of how uh, our acceptance of diversity, of, of diverse faiths is going to form part of our cultural and historical legacy in, our, in this country. And who, when we look back at, are we going to see as part of the fabric of our country? And this debate is really about inclusion and exclusion as part of that history and part of that dis discussion. And I hope that, you know, when at the end of the day that we find a place that is really reflective of what the Canadian fabric has been, which is in understanding and appreciating the various contributions of different groups that have come to this country or, be, or form part of this country over time. Well, there's no better place to end it than that. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us today as I knock my water ball over. And uh it's been a really informative discussion. We really appreciate your time. And thank you for having us. I think it was a good opportunity for us to, to discuss um, this, this uh, recent development in Canada. Yes, thank you very, very much. Thank you. You can find political R&D podcasts, blogs, and our social media tags on our website at politicalrnd.ca. Goodbye, Robbie. Goodbye, Deirdre. Thank <laughs> you.